All right, what is up, Bills fans? Uh, Matt Perino here, nyupsyracuse.com, coming to you with a pretty crazy collection of talent. I have, from left to right, Joe Biscaglia of The Athletic, Jay Skirsky of the Buffalo News, Marcel Louis-Jacques from ESPN, and Matthew Fairburn, freshly shaven just for all of us from The Athletic. Uh, we want to get together and react to a big week uh, in Bills Nation here. Uh, a new wide receiver won, a bunch of new pieces in free agency. Uh, and we're going to have some fun. How are you guys doing? Hey, well, thanks, thanks for having me. Doing well. Very nice. Very nice. All right. So we'll start with Stefan Diggs because that is the uh, biggest topic of the week. And I want to start with you, Joe. Uh, you, re- you wrote a really nice piece on Stefan Diggs after going back and watching three days worth of tape from last year. So, you know, you start us off here. And what are the Bills getting in Stefan Diggs? And more importantly, what is Josh Allen getting? We'll all, got, we'll all kind of sprinkle in from there. Yeah, the spending three days on film wasn't just a quarantine thing. That's my stupid brain thing. Um, it, that, uh, what Stefan Diggs is um, and what the Bills are getting with him, specifically for Josh Allen, is a guy that will help amplify where he is already best, um, which is in the intermediate areas, because that is, to me, where Diggs really stands out. And you see him just make some defenders look absolutely silly in, in man-to-man coverage with how he speeds into his breakdowns and how he gets in and out of his breaks. I mean, these, these are, these are elements to his game that are nuanced and often lost with a lot of wide receivers out there. But the fact that he's able to do that at such an efficient rate is really, really fun to watch. And there's going to be times where he's not even targeted and he makes the defender look absolutely silly. And um, that will be frustrating for him because he doesn't get the ball. But all, all that said, that's just the type of talent that he has. And when he's able to combine that with the contested catch ability that he has and, uh, and be able to adjust the ball to the ball as well as he can, I mean, these are all assets of his game that can help build up the strengths of Josh Allen and what they hope, help amplify the other parts of his game, which is the, the deep ball and, um, you know, bringing about a better yards after catch than maybe what they had last season. So all of these things are, are really great assets for the Bills moving forward. Mm-hmm. Jay, what were your uh, impressions when you, you know, found out late when, uh, Monday night that Stefan Diggs was a Bill? You know, I, I think it's the message that it sends, right? I think this is a team that is totally in win-now mode, right? And, you know, you look at this draft and everybody has talked about the strength uh, of this class, it, it being wide receiver and how, you know, it, it might be a, a generational class for wide receivers. And even if that turns out to be true, you don't know necessarily that even if you take a guy at number 22, he's going to turn in to Stefan Diggs, right? Which is ideally what you want with that pick. So, Brandon Bean looked at it and said, instead of rolling the dice, which is what the draft is, I'm going to go out and get a proven commodity, a guy who, you know, is on a favorable contract here for the next few years. Now, you know, on a side note, that to me, I think is the most interesting thing about this trade is how long is Stefan Diggs going to be okay playing on that, on that contract? I think that's, to me, that's the first question when we get to talk to talk to Brandon Bean and we get to talk. Uh, to Stefan Diggs you know I don't expect that Stefan Diggs is going to come out and demand a new contract in day one but I think we have to really closely follow where that goes but to your original question I I think it's uh it's very clear that while Josh Allen is on his rookie contract here for the next couple of years they're determined to do everything everything they can to build a winning team around him and not just a, a team that can maybe make the playoffs like they did last year but a team that once he gets there can make some noise and and they looked at the roster and they said 
you know, we're lacking a number one receiver. We're lacking a guy that, you know, Josh Allen, all the things that Joe said can bring to the offense. We need to go out and get that. And we've seen Brandon Bean be aggressive before when he, when he's felt like there's a new, a move that's needed to be made. And I think this was the very definition of an aggressive move, because as I said, there are a lot of wide receivers in this class and you could very easily make the case that why don't you just stay at number 22, draft a guy and have him on a cost controlled contract for the next four or five years. But instead, Brandon Bean went the other way and said, no, I want the proven thing. You sit back on Monday afternoon when DeAndre Hopkins gets traded uh, to Arizona. And, you know, I tweeted it. If you're Josh Allen sitting there looking at Kyler Murray getting an upper echelon wide receiver, you're probably sitting there like, go get me one. And I think John Brown had a great season last year, 14th best uh, receiving season in Bill's history. But I think that he fits the mold as that elite number two even better. Marcel, how do you think this wide receiver core works with now um, Stephon Diggs in the mix pairing with John Brown and Cole Beasley? Yeah, I think that uh, you've seen this floating around. I think it allows John Brown and Cole Beasley to revert to their more comfortable positions as the number two and number three receivers, as guys who are more chain movers than playmakers. And that's not a knock on either John Brown or Cole Beasley's games. I mean, they've literally made careers out of doing it, Beasley especially. But what Diggs does is he now captures the attention of the defensive secondary instead of John Brown. So, you know, uh, Ideally, you're going to see less of Josh Allen forcing those double covered balls into Josh or into John Brown. You're going to see him, you know, hopefully try not to funnel so many balls into into those two guys when they're double covered. It's going to allow them to exploit these one on one matchups, which is something that Beasley especially does incredibly well. I I think that, uh, you know, it's really like Jay said, like Joe said, this is what this team was missing and we went a lot of the year debating whether or not John Brown was a number one receiver and a thousand yards. uh, He set a new career high. He had an excellent year. There's no doubt about that. But with the games on the line, it's not, that's not really his game. He's not a guy that's, that's making contested catches. He's not a guy. He he's done a little bit after the catch, but that's not really his game. His game's more, you know, separate good hands, crisp routes, but uh, Stefan Diggs, this is a game breaker. Uh, this is a guy that Josh Allen, who does like to take risks, this is a guy who he can take those risks to confidently. I, I believe he was top five in the league, Diggs was, in contested catch percentage last season. So this is, uh, this is what you want to do as a general manager. This is what you want to do for every young quarterback. You want to get him a dominant receiver. You want to get him a safety blanket like that. A guy who you can say, say, you know, throw the ball up. I trust you to go make a play and actually goes and makes that play. I mean, you can't, uh, you you really can't say enough about what this move does for this offense moving forward. An offense that really lacked home run hitters outside of the occasional Devin Singletary, you know, 15, 20 yard run. Fairburn, you you wrote a really good piece after the deal uh, on what this means for Josh Allen. And, you know, removing all the barriers now, all the question marks going into year three, he doesn't have a lot of excuses at his disposal now with the weapons around him and still the draft to come. So I wanted to ask you, and anybody else can chime in too uh, as we go here, did this deal ratchet up the pressure significantly on Josh Allen in 2020? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I don't see how it doesn't. It takes away some of the pressure in a sense, right, because you're getting a number one receiver to help you out and you don't have to view it as, you know, him doing it all himself. Sean McDermott talked about that at the end of the year saying, you know, they needed to 
help him find that line of being a playmaker, but also knowing that he can trust playmakers around him too. And getting him those players he trusts was a, you know, at the top of their priority list. And the reason I think it does increase some of the pressure, and I don't know if he'll feel any of that, but more so speed up the timeline, I guess, of deciding whether he's the guy goes back to what Jay talked about. They looked at a top of the line wide receiver draft class and said, you know, rather than drafting one of those guys and waiting for him to develop, we are going to plug a guy in right away that can impact our offense. You know, they might've found a guy that could develop into a Stefan Diggs level player at 22. There's no way they would have found somebody who at 22 would have had the impact that Stefan Diggs is going to have this year right away. And so to me, it says that they know their window is open right now and the window, not just to make the playoffs, but to win playoff games and maybe make a run at the Super Bowl. And the only way that window stays open is if the quarterback is right. And the best way to find out if your quarterback is right is a, to give them time, you know, that you need to let these guys develop, but B put enough talent around them, remove variables. Uh, he's got a pretty good offensive line now, not a great offensive line, but it's all coming back. He's got arguably the best group of receivers in the conference uh, at the very least the best in the division. And so now it's up to him. Um, you know, it's, Kind of like you talk about with John Brown, what Marcel was saying of we went all year wondering, is this guy a number one receiver? Well, you don't ask that question with Stephon Diggs. You know it when you see it. Same, same thing is going to go for Josh Allen when it's time to judge him. If you have to ask the question of whether you have a franchise quarterback or not, you probably don't have one. Mm-hmm. I like uh-huh. what Jay said earlier, though, too, that that while Josh Allen's on that rookie contract before he gets this big quarterback money, that they're doing as much as they can to put weapons and pieces around him. Because, at you know, three years down the line, that's just not how teams work in, in professional sports. You're not going to be able to keep everybody on a reasonable contract. Tremaine Edmonds is going to want big money. Deion Dawkins and Matt Milano are probably getting big money sooner rather than later. Josh Allen's going to command, if, if he is the guy, at this rate, 30 or more million dollars a year. So you've got to strike while the iron is hot. And you don't really have time if you're Brandon Bean to let that receiver you would presumably take at 22 develop. You can't roll the dice and hope that this is an instant impact kind of guy. You know what I will say as a potential pitfall of, of Stefan Diggs and what he brings to, um, to Josh Allen and maybe where things could go awry a little bit is we're talking about contested catches, someone that could be that security blanket. But this is also a quarterback that has been prone to making some pretty poor judgment calls uh, when it's if it's throwing against his body, throwing into double coverage. I mean, that if he has that type of, yeah, it's lateraling to Dawson Knox, um, that type of security blanket could help induce him into making some of these more poor decisions um especially if Diggs, who wants the ball and it's very clear that he wants the ball when you watch him at all times and if he doesn't and he's open he's going to let you know about it that's that's just kind of who he is he's kind of that you know uh Fairburn and I talked about it on our podcast very much that alpha type of uh personality and I think there there might be a little bit of a, a a scary part in that that if Allen thinks that he needs to force the ball to Stefan Diggs then maybe he makes some of those mistakes that they tried so hard last year to rid him of. That's the only potential pitfall that I could see with, with adding a guy like Diggs in the equation. 
I'd rather him force the ball to guys than be afraid to to pull the trigger. Uh, True. And there were times last year, and anybody who watched Tyrod Taylor here, you know, dealt with that frustration. I think he needs a guy that he's comfortable doing that with. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have that. And yeah, there's a line there. He can't overdo it. But you look back at the Baltimore game, uh, what Marcel was talking about with John Brown, very good player, but maybe not that guy that you're necessarily looking to on that final play of the game. He, he got out muscled by Marcus Peters uh, on a ball that could have been a touchdown to another receiver would have been a really hard play, but now you have a guy that can make those plays. The Texans game, when they badly needed something, Josh Allen was looking to Duke Williams, who wasn't even on the active roster for most of the year because he was the guy who could go up and, you know, rip the ball away from a defensive back. They didn't really have that guy. And, you know, they didn't have that guy to, to lean on and, you know, force the ball to. They have some good complementary pieces, but now um, I wouldn't mind it if he forces the ball to Stephon Diggs because I think it could be lucrative. And, yeah, if, if mistakes come as part of that, I, you know, there's still going to be some big plays sprinkled in. At times last year, there was a lack lack of those in the passing game because he was so focused on taking care of the football. He's got to find a middle ground. Like you said, exactly. Throw the ball to Stephon Diggs every play and he turns into Jameis Winston. But finding, you know, somewhere in the middle where, you know, you can take some gambles and make some big plays. Stephon Diggs is arguably the best deep receiver in the league by a lot of stats that you look at. And Josh Allen was one of, if not the worst deep throwers of the football last year. So this should hopefully help Josh Allen get there and, you know, change how defenses play them a little bit and make life easier for Josh Allen in that department and remove the biggest variable because now he has a great deep ball receiver. You know, one of my questions though about this trade is what happens if Josh Allen misses Stefan Diggs deep, right? Or Josh Allen doesn't go to Stefan Diggs when he is open because this is a guy that we've seen uh, create some some chaos, quite frankly, with Minnesota. I mean, what, what did he do? He went MIA, right, at one point last season. And this front office, this coaching staff here in Buffalo has worked so very hard at establishing the culture, right, with with the finger quotes. But, you know, they've made it a point to make sure that the guys that they bring into this locker room fit in and that they're team first guys. And that's not to say that Stefan Diggs isn't necessarily. I mean, we don't know that, uh, I think, well enough yet. But I think that's one concern, at least, that it's fair to raise is, is this guy going to be a team first guy? Is he going to be okay with a game where Cole Beasley gets 10 or 12 targets and he only sees three or four or something like that? Because I think that's a possibility. And that's another interesting wrinkle to this trade for me is how does this guy fit into this locker room? And, you know, Brandon Bean has said, we're not looking all the time for choir boys. That's not what we're after. But he's looking for guys who, you know, they want to win. They want to put the team first. Has Stefan Diggs always done that in his career? I think that's, that's fair to question. Yeah, no. granted, there is no Adam Thielen here, though. There is no, there is no receiver who you could, you know, you can undoubtedly say this guy deserves – a 12, 13 target kind of game. Like this guy could be a number one on any other team. I think that, uh, I think even if there are those games where, where Beasley gets eight, nine, 10 targets or John Brown's a little more targeted, I still don't think there's any question who the top dog is. And I'm, that's what I'm curious about is if he, like you said, like if, he'll, if he's willing to sacrifice, if he's willing to, to relent those games where he's not the most targeted, as long as it's still 
clear that he is the guy in that, in that receiver room. I think you build the culture that you do to be able to bring in guys like this, one-offs like this. Because if you go back to last year in that playoff game, Duke Williams was entered into the equation. He got 10 targets, and I still felt like John Brown was a big part of that game. I think Cole Beasley wanted a little bit more action, but that's going to be a give and take in terms of those secondary targets. You know, Dawson Knox, uh, Devin Singletary in the run game. That's going to be something where there's going to be a give and take. They're going to have to figure out what their identity is. But that brings me to this next question that I have, because one of the big reactions on social media after this deal went down was the compensation, comparing it to – the DeAndre Hopkins deal and how much the Bills gave up compared to what uh, the Cardinals had to give up. I personally had no problems with it because of what we talked about all week. The fifth and sixth were kind of gravy. They went out and traded for uh, two additional picks in those rounds before the last season. You're essentially giving up at that point. Still, it's still draft capital, but a first and a fourth. Did anybody here have a problem with the compensation that Brandon Bean gave up to get uh, Stefan Diggs? No, that's – that's what you give up for a number one receiver. I think maybe a lot of people let Bill O'Brien skew the curve here, but uh, that is not that is so outside of the norm that um, you know it's almost not worth worth discussing. I think that first round pick, like you said, if they're already likely using that on a receiver, you're, you're getting the final product of what you hope that number one pick could be, and you got team control for the next four years, so you've got them about as long as that rookie contract is going to last for a first rounder and, and everything else, like you said, it was already house money, the fifth and sixth round picks you got for players that you are already going to cut in training camp. Uh, that fourth round pick next year as well kind of ties into that first. You just kind of, that's what it costs, you know, these, uh, but even still, I, I would say there's few win-win trades in the NFL, but this gets dangerously close to that. Well, as Jay pointed out, um, they hope, that they have him cost controlled for four years. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, if he has one solid year, that could be pretty uh, changing pretty quickly. Um, but I think the compensation, I didn't have a huge problem with it. I was probably not even the camp of them taking a wide receiver at 22 because I didn't think past the first three guys, anyone would have been worth it in comparison to what you could have gotten in at 54 or maybe even 86. Um, I, I don't even think this trade puts them out of the wide receiver market in the draft at all. I mean, it, you, you can now bring in a guy that um, doesn't have to play. He can learn behind Stefan Diggs, learn behind Cole Beasley, learn behind John Brown. And then when Brown and Beasley go on their merry way, because their, their contracts will be coming up in the next few years here, um, then you have someone to be able to step in and, and be able to become that starter, ideally. So I, I, I did not have a problem with the compensation whatsoever. 22 overall, I mean, yes, you're taking a calculated risk on a guy who was a bit mercurial, a bit volatile last year. But that said, I mean, you take risks on talent and you try and figure things out. And I think that's what they're trying to do. They're swinging for the fences, and I can't argue with that logic. In a vacuum? Nothing wrong with the compensation, but mm-hmm. let's call a spade a spade. The Cardinals got a way better deal. <laughs> they, oh, got yeah. a, they got a better receiver for a lesser price. And that's what, you know, makes people probably look and say, man, like, did they pick up the phone? Um, was Bill O'Brien calling around? Like, nobody really knows how exactly that happened and how it came to be that Bill O'Brien gave up a receiver of that caliber for so little. And, yes, DeAndre Hopkins wants a new contract. He will probably make $20 million a year. Still, the Cardinals got the better deal. However, if that deal didn't happen, what, 10 hours earlier, 
I don't think anybody's complaining about the compensation for Stefan Diggs. I mean, it, it's, it's a, like Marcel said, that is the price you pay for a player like that. And Brandon Bean wouldn't pay it if he didn't think two things. One, that it was a player who had good years left, a player that was in his prime, a young ascending talent, and two, a guy that had a contract. He's at least under team control for four years. Now, whether he's under team control for that number is a huge question, like Jay pointed out. But it's not like he has a tremendous amount of leverage. He could not show up, but, I mean, his contract runs four more years. Uh, he signed it. it. You know, that's kind of his problem. It is interesting that he's got uh, the same agent that Le'Veon Bell has, the same agent that Maurice Jones-Drew had and Matt Forte had. All those guys held out. Um, Tyrod Taylor had a pretty public contract squabble here. So Adisa Bakari is um, no, has a, a habit of, you know, having his clients uh, get, get what they're worth. So I'll be interested to see if that happens. But either way, he, the leverage is on the side of the bills here. And Stefan Diggs is the one who wanted to change the scenery. Now he's got it. I agree that the, you know, the Hopkins trade, I think, has maybe swayed public opinion to say that the Bills overpaid uh, in their deal. And I don't necessarily know that I agree with that. You know, we've got, I'm sure you guys have too, gotten a lot of questions. Oh, you know, were the Bills in on Hopkins? I can't say for sure one way or the other, but I would point out though that look at what, you know, Houston and Bill O'Brien's background is, right? Who did he work with? Brian Gain. We had a very public falling out with the former general manager. Where's Brian Gain working? Of course, you know, now here in Buffalo. And on top of that, I mean, this is a team, those are two teams that just met in the playoffs. So I don't know how uh, eager Bill O'Brien may have been to trade DeAndre Hopkins to an AFC opponent and maybe an AFC rival, a, a team that, you know, going forward, they may see again in the playoffs. So I think that might be part of the reason why he ended up in the NFC. And I, but again, like, to the first part or first point, I think had that trade not been made, we might not be having uh, the debate about whether the Bills paid too much for Stefan Diggs. Well, Bill O'Brien say- is also, also just incompetent, right? Like he's proven <laughs> that he's stubborn, hard to work with and borderline incompetent at being a general manager. Uh, keep in mind, this is a guy that outcoached Sean McDermott a couple months ago in a playoff game, but he's not a very good general manager. And so we can't, you know, look past the fact of what, you know, what Jay's saying is that maybe this guy wasn't picking up the phone and calling people. Maybe he was holding a grudge over Brian Gain or saying, I think even if you're going to meet the bills in the playoffs and you can guarantee it a year from now, you still take the package they gave for Stefan Diggs over the package you got from the Cardinals. But again, this is not a guy who is using logic and reason to make roster decisions. And clearly there was a lot of emotion behind this one, given what came out after the fact. So it is, it's hard to, yes, the Cardinals got the better deal, but that deal probably wasn't available to everybody because they had, you know, David Johnson, which should have been, I thought that they were going to have to give the Texans a draft pick to take David Johnson. And yet Bill O'Brien's like, Oh no, hold on a second. Why don't you just take, my best player instead. I mean, all right. That's what pretty I'm, good deal. That's another thing is what what compensation would the Bills have offered the Texans? Like what would have what would have constituted a, a a fleece like the Cardinals did? But T.J. Yeldon in a third or T.J. Yeldon in a second? Like I don't T.J. Yeldon would have been a better asset than David Johnson. He's cheaper. 
I mean, he is cheaper, but David Johnson, I mean, we're trying to, I'm trying to play devil's advocate here. Right. <laughs> think from Bill O'Brien's perspective, like who on the Bills Don't roster? Try too hard. <laughs> give me him and uh, give me him in a second. And we will call this a, call this a deal. I mean, even if, what would be a better deal? I mean, now we're just playing hypotheticals, but we're, we've all been locked in our houses for a week. So <laughs> might as well. Uh, you have to give up Devin Singletary in a second round pick for DeAndre Hopkins, or you have to give up the package that you gave up to get Stefan Diggs. What would you rather give up? The, the, first, the Diggs package. For sure. See, I'd give, I think I'd give up Singletary in a second to get Hopkins. Wow. Hmm. I think you could probably find another running back in the middle round. They found Singletary in the third round. Right. You? He's a good right. player. I mean, he's great, but. Uh, I, think I, I think I'd probably go Singletary as well. So wait, DeAndre Hopkins you, might be the the best receiver in football. That's what I wanted to ask you. So you would take DeAndre Hopkins at 27 over Diggs at 26. Everybody in here across the board. If all things being equal, those two receivers, if you have the option. Well, sure, yeah. he's only a year old. I mean, who I, I, I forget who said, I think it was Fairburn, that, yeah, DeAndre Hopkins is going to probably command around $20 million pretty quickly here. Uh, I, I think Diggs can put up comparable numbers at a lesser price. I think Diggs, if he wants to ask for $20 million, that is, he's within his right. He's not going to get $20 million, is what I'm saying. DeAndre Hopkins can ask and will receive it. So I, I think that it's more cost-effective to get Diggs. You can get similar production, and you can still afford to take care of some of the guys that are going to need to be extended who are already on the Bills roster on these rookie deals right now. Were you that guys part surprised? of it is accurate, yeah. Well, you yeah, guys the number Diggs asks for, or if he even asks for a number at all, is a huge variable here. If if you can get one at half the price of the other, then it closes the gap a little bit. Yes. And well, that's probably why he was cheaper, too, or, or why he cost more, rather, why Hopkins might have come a little cheaper. And, again, it's because the Vikings have a general manager and the Texans have Bill O'Brien. Bob. Were you guys um, – Jay, are you muted, by the way? Oh, yeah, I muted you. Is that like Tony Reale? This whole time, <laughs> mute. Um, I feel like Perino should be giving us all points for our, yes. our good takes wait, wait, wait. and am I, subtracting am I points. Muted? No, you're good. Oh, okay. So you're back at the game. Right. So I I didn't have this on our agenda, but while we're talking about what the Bills have to do, you know, with their own, were, was anybody surprised that they extended Jordan Boyer? And you and, and you think that that's the kind of number that that you, he was going to land at with an extension? I personally was just because um, I, I think Jordan Poyer is a nice player uh, and definitely, definitely good. I don't know that he's as important to the defense as say a Micah Hyde is. And I think part of this might be influenced by that, you know, that Poyer Hyde duo being the first guys that they brought in that McDermott brought in, not even Bean and wanting to reward from, for being that guy that has helped take their defense to leaps and bounds from, from where it used to be before, before they were here. So I think that is part of it. And certainly sending messages throughout the locker room, like, Hey, if you do well here, we're going to take care of you. I, I get all that in, in terms of being a player, he is going to be going into his thirties and we've seen Sean McDermott do a lot with a little with defensive backs and being able to find gems a little bit of everywhere. And, you know, if, if they were to find a safety, in the third or fourth round or something like that or maybe if if Jaquan Johnson continues to develop the way that he did throughout the year last year maybe that there's there's a chance that you know they can pair that person with um with with Micah 
with Micah Hyde and then go from there. So I was slightly surprised, but knowing how they like to reward their guys and want to send that message down the line to their, their whole locker room, I think that that's probably what helped influence the deal as well. Yeah, you can't say we want to take care of our own guys and then the first time that this opportunity presents itself, you let Jordan Poyer walk. Uh, I'm not sure how, how they received the message that he wanted in the extension. I think on social media, it was very, uh, it wasn't even necessarily him, but it was very apparent that his camp, his team, family wanted a new deal. Um, I was surprised that the number was what, what is what it is. I think averages to, to 10.25. It's north of 10 uh, over those final two years of his deal. But um, I, I think you just you, you pay for consistency here. They're paying for consistency. They're paying for what he's done, what he means to the locker room. Uh, but uh, I, I don't know. He deserved to be extended. I was surprised it was as as hefty as it is, but good for him. I actually made that mistake as well. I, I thought the same, and it's it also includes this 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 year. Is it a restructure so, then? The, yeah, it's a restructure. Okay. So it's over three rather than two. I made that same mistake, so that's why. I know. <laughs> Gotcha. I was about to say, yeah, that's a, yeah. That's a little weighty. Good for him. Yeah, right. Uh, then it makes it still makes a lot more sense. But uh, yeah. like you said, he is entering his 30s. But, uh, you know, he means a lot to this team. He means a lot to, to the culture, the, the, to borrow Jay's expression, the finger quotes. He means a lot to the culture here. And uh, I think that uh, that's more or less what he's getting paid for. I think I was just a little bit surprised that it was him first. Uh, I would have... Mm -hmm. If I was prioritizing, I think I would have maybe gone with Matt Milano first. I thought, you know, at, at what Milano means to that defense as an every down linebacker, you know, linebackers are not a position where I, I know they're getting paid and the safety kind of falls in that camp too. It's not like the huge, huge money like edge rusher or cornerback is. Um, so I thought they would have rewarded Milano first. Um, just when you look ahead to uh, ease of getting guys back, right? Or, or, you know, the difficulty with the position that they play and maybe the money that they're going to command. You know, I know a lot of people have talked about, well, uh, it should have been Trey White first. Well, I think if Trey White's agents are doing their job, they're telling them well, money's only going up at cornerback and, and we're, we don't need to be in a rush to sign an extension. I know there's a built-in risk there in terms of injury possibilities, but uh, and if you're the Bills, too, you've got the fifth-year option. So you've got him under control for two more years. Uh, I just don't know that the uh, urgency would have been there on either side to get that deal done. And then with Deion Dawkins, I know a lot of people have suggested, why not him? I'm not ready to hand Deion Dawkins $75 million yet. I think he needs to back it up with another good season. And, you know, you may say, oh, well, you'd be worried about him, you know, getting to the open market. Well, they've got the franchise tag. If he goes out and plays really, really well again next year, and you can't get a long-term deal done, you can franchise him for a year, and that wouldn't kill you cap-wise. So, I, again, I would have gone Milano first. Poyer would have been up there. Uh, you know, and in a perfect world, yeah, Trey White agrees to one, but I don't think Trey White's ready to do that, and I don't blame him. Yeah, I think Poyer makes sense as the first one, mostly because he's probably the one most eager to get it and the one who's you know most i don't know he's he's probably most justified in being upset at not having one um he's way way underpaid before this deal and so in order to prevent that from happening getting this done makes sense as opposed to milano and dawkins those guys can wait right after the draft and and things like that 
you'd prefer to know where you stand with Jordan Poyer before the draft so that if he's upset or if he really wants way more than you're willing to pay, then you say, all right, maybe we need the draft to safety. Maybe we see who, you know, might want this guy during the draft. And instead you're like, all right, you get that done. After the draft is typically when they've done, you know, their extensions. And so maybe Deion Dawkins and Matt Milano um, get done then. But I'm with you, Jay. If I'm Tredavious White, I'm not even talking at this point. I'd say, mm-hmm. nope, that cap's going way up. This market's going way up. And, you know, you're going to have to pay me quite a lot of money. And, you know, it's not like his play is going to drop off dramatically. I think that would be a surprise to everybody. So, um the only reason it Poyer made sense was I knew that, you know, they were, that was something they had to get figured out one way or the other. Uh, if he was not going to be able to, if he was not going to be willing to do it or had an asking price that was way too high, they needed a contingency plan. So I think it's smart that they got it done. He's a good player. They're trying to keep everybody together as, you know, a few of you guys have mentioned They're they're looking at this window right now when, you know, the salary caps healthy and Josh Allen's cheap, that they can make a run and, the, the best way to do that is to keep as many of these guys together as possible. We've talked a lot about uh, the offensive side of the ball with Stefan Diggs. Let's shift gears to the defensive side of the ball because the defensive line has gotten a little bit of uh, a facelift this offseason. Shaq Lawson to Miami, Jordan Phillips to Arizona, and now you're adding in three new pieces, two former Carolina Panthers uh, in Mario Addison and Vernon Butler, and then former Seattle Seahawks, Quinton Jefferson, a uh, little uh, edge slash interior defensive lineman I want to start with you Marcel with this because you covered uh the Carolina Panthers and that beat for a year what are were your impressions in that year of Mario Addison and obviously one of the big factors here in why some people think he's an upgrade over Shaq Lawson is because of his ability to get after the quarterback and and put up some nice sack numbers 39 in the last four years do you say the same thing that that's going to be a big upgrade opposite Jerry Hughes adding Mario Addison yeah, I think so. And this was another another one of these moves that, that Buffalo's made this offseason in paying for what you know you're going to get, paying for production over potential. And I think that's what you would be doing if you – you'd be doing the opposite if you if you signed or were able to re-sign Shaq Lawson. You're paying for, you know, what could he become. But their Super Bowl window is right now, and they need a guy who can get after the quarterback. And that's something that Mario Addison specializes in. Uh, I know that his age might, might – scare a few people off but considering his his late start and and the tread on his tires right now uh, I would still argue that he's still in his prime granted the latter part of his prime but I think he's a guy who can still make an impact right now Uh, great locker room presence guys in the locker room uh, they respected him I only got to see him for half a year in 2018 and that was all that I needed to know that this is a guy who can come in there and fit seamlessly into what um, Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have, have tried to build up here Plus, he offers some position flexibility as well. He can play defensive end. He can also kick back to outside linebacker and if need be, if that's you know what they want him to do. He's uh, It's something that they just asked him to do, I think, last season. But once again, he did so seamlessly. It's uh, There's a reason that why they got this done, this done quickly. It made sense because of his prior relationship with being with McDermott and with Eric Washington, who is the, the Bills' new defensive line coach. Uh, people might say, you know, well, is Washington really that – is he really all that special? Uh, Panthers' defense the past two seasons were was atrocious. But uh, as a defensive line coach, he's he's elite. This is a guy who commands respect from players. This is a guy who 
These guys love playing for. I think we'll start to see that. We'll start to see him allow guys to tap further into their potential. Guys like Ed Oliver, guys like Harrison Phillips, and Vernon Butler, who's who's coming in off of a career uh, after a career year in 2019. So now Mario Addison, I think it's a he's an upgrade over Shaq Lawson. Uh, it's only three years. I believe it's pretty easy to get out of if somehow he he does tank if he does fall off. But um, it's just another example of them paying for a high floor rather than a high ceiling. All right. Nobody to, nobody needs to add oh. anything to that. That was pretty uh, – No, that was the expert. Distinct. He covered yeah. That was it. That was like he covered everything. So in terms of the three of these guys, though, as, I don't know how much you guys have dug in on them. Who do you think can have the biggest impact? I, I was pretty impressed with what I've – Learned about Quentin Jefferson, obviously his pass rush win rate, one of the uh, top 10 in the NFL last season. And a guy that really, I admitted after they signed him, he wasn't even really on my radar. I wasn't even looking at him. You, you dive into all of these free agents. There's so many out there. This is a guy that seems like he'd come out of this defense and make an immediate impact, even as a rotational piece, a depth piece. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think Jefferson reminds me a little bit of the signing of John Feliciano last year, right? Where a guy, you know, maybe didn't get a ton of opportunities at his former spot. I know he played more than Feliciano did with Oakland, but I think the point is, is that they identified a guy who maybe given a little bit bigger of a role uh, could possibly break out for them. You know, the, the question is, is how, how big of a role will he be able to have here? Because uh, they've got, you know, pretty darn good depth here uh, on the defensive line, and they added to it in a significant way. Even though you lose Jordan Phillips and you lose Shaq Lawson, you bring in a guy like Addison, who we expect is going to play a pretty good deal. And then you sign Vernon Butler, and, you know, where does that leave? Uh, you know, how, how many snaps are all of these guys going to get? I think that's uh, something that will be interesting to watch play out. But one point I want to make about the the signings, I know we all – kind of laugh and, and roll our eyes about the Carolina connection and, and joke about it. But particularly this offseason, the way it's going, I think it, it, it's more important than maybe others would be because I don't think we're going to have any OTAs here in the spring and we might not even have a training camp, right? Uh, the, the amount of time to learn the defense, uh, I think is going to be, at least in terms of on, on the field snaps and practice time, is going to be, you know, truncated, if not eliminated entirely. And so that's why I think it's important that these guys are coming in. Uh, I know Jefferson excluded in, this, in, in the sense that he was not part of, you know, this Carolina pipeline. But uh, for the other guys, I think it's really, really important. And, and I do think at least early in this season, whenever or if ever it gets played, the Bills are going to have a bit of an advantage here going into the fourth year of the same defense and the third year of the same offense. I think that could be uh, something that's really, really helpful for this team. And, and with that in mind, bringing in guys who are going to be pretty much up to speed right away with what they're going to be asked to do, I think is valuable. Cool. Um, we're at about 45 minutes, so we'll just speed through these last few things and we can all kind of get in on this one. Jay, I read that you wrote, uh, I think it was either today or yesterday, uh, the three biggest needs left for the Bills after kind of the initial free agency uh, push running back, cornerback, and offensive tackle. Um, where, do, where do we all sit on what maybe is at the top of that list? Because you look at cornerback, they brought in Josh Norman. We could talk a little bit about that addition. Um, at uh, running back, uh, there's some a little bit of uh, uh, you know, a rumor that I reported yesterday. I guess Melvin Gordon, he obviously signed with Denver. 
they have to make some moves at these positions. Where is maybe do we feel the best place they can make those moves? Uh, I think running back, you can address through the draft. It's a position where the learning curve isn't so steep that you can't draft a rookie and have them make an impact basically right away. I mean, we see it last year with Josh Jacobs, with, with Singletary, with Miles Sanders, David Montgomery. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. But uh, I, I, I've got my eyes on, uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm Buffalo, I've still got my eyes on a guy who, who's a drum I've been banging for a long time. That's A.J. Dillon out of Boston College. 6'2", around 235, 240. Uh, this guy, he's a little more agile than, uh, than you'd expect for someone that size to be. Not a great pass catcher out of the backfield, but he's more of a battering ram. This is a guy who in the fourth quarter, if he's spelling Devin Singletary, who's been making guys miss for three quarters, these guys are going to be a lot less willing to tackle A.J. Dillon, especially in some of these December games when it's 20-some-odd degrees outside. So, yeah, I, I think running back, you can find that in the draft. You don't necessarily need to go after the big names. Like, uh, obviously, they didn't go get Gordon. They didn't get Gurley. But uh, even like a Devontae Freeman, I, I don't think it's necessary to – I don't think it's necessary to do that. You can spend some of that remaining draft capital. I certainly agree with you in theory, Marcel. But I think for them, what they like to have with that veteran presence in every single room or what have you – uh, I think there's a void there now with Frank Gore gone because I don't think TJ Yeldon is that guy. Uh, I, I think they would like to have some solid depth behind Singletary of a more practiced hand. The guy that uh, I've been stumping for um, the last week or so is Lamar Miller. He's coming off that torn ACL, has a lot of production. Um, he has history both in Miami with Joe Shane and Dennis Hickey. And then again in Houston with, with Brian Gain, they know what he's all about, can, can help add that veteran presence, can play all three downs if you need him to, if Singletary gets hurt. He's someone that, uh, that can come in there and he could probably be cost controlled because he's coming off a torn ACL, which is a Brandon Bean specialty where he likes to take guys who are productive previously in their career, take a calculated risk in a, in a lower prove it deal contract and then go from there. And, and I don't even think that that rules them out of taking a running back on, on day three at some point by any means, because they still need to add depth to it. But I think having a practiced hand and vanquishing TJ Yeldon from the, the roster or at least upgrading him is something that, that they would be into. Yeah, you know, we talked a lot about running back. I would say when you look at those other needs, you've, it, I'll, I'll address cornerback. You know, you've basically swapped out Josh Norman for Kevin Johnson. And, you know, at the end of last season, Levi Wallace sprains his ankle in the, in the regular season finale, and they're down to two outside cornerbacks. And they were staring at a position where if uh, one of them, Tredavious White or Kevin Johnson, sprained his ankle against the Texans, they're basically playing somebody out of position in the playoffs. So I, I've long said that I'd like to see them beef up their outside cornerback numbers. It, it seems like that, that's a position where – they could always use another guy there. So I would say that cornerback to me might be the biggest remaining need. Uh, you know, the other one, offensive tackle, Fairburn let it, mentioned it earlier. You know, they're, they're okay on the offensive line, but are they great? I don't know that they're great. And so I'll, you know, I'll let Matt talk more about that, but um, that's kind of where I land on cornerback at least. Yeah. I'm, I still think, and I expected, you know, going into free agency that they would do a little bit more on the offensive line. And there's still a chance, you know, Joe and I have talked about this, that the way the offensive line puzzle fits together is going to be interesting, especially when you consider the fact that everybody's coming back. 
So that would in theory means it's not going to be that interesting that everybody would just slide back in where, where they were. But that means you're okay with what you got there last year, which it didn't sound like at almost any point Sean McDermott was okay with that. And at the combine, he said, you know, that they need to, when he was asked about getting playmakers, he talked about getting people to protect Josh Allen. And I think when you look at the way the offensive line played last year, still a below average unit, uh, still not as good as it needs to be. Uh, And I think that's sort of the missing ingredient to also get this offense to the next level. In addition to, you know, Josh Allen taking another step forward, but you know, is Cody Ford a tackle or a guard is, you know, is Quentin Spain locked in at left guard? Is John Feliciano going to be back up to, to full speed? I know he was uh, a great addition for them last year, um, but he's coming off a pretty serious injury. So they need to make some decisions there and, and have sort of a, a long-term plan because outside of Deion Dawkins and Mitch Morse, nobody's really locked in for multiple years at a specific spot. And even Mitch Morse isn't locked in forever. You know, he's, He's got a couple years and then they could probably get out of that contract. So, and Deion Dawkins is entering the final year of his deal. So another veteran, more competition. They added a lot of depth last year and they, they were certainly, they basically went from being one of the worst offensive lines in football to being, you know, a below average offensive line. And that difference looked, you know, dramatically better uh, uh, when people watched the games, but it still wasn't necessarily where it needs to be. Cool. Last thing before we get out of here, um, the big one of the big questions going into this offseason was who's going to replace Lorenzo Alexander. The Bills signed AJ Klein, the linebacker from New Orleans. Obviously, has some Carolina connections as well as first few years in the league. Is it going to be Klein that does a lot of what Lorenzo Alexander does, or do you expect it to be kind of a combination of of him and maybe on special teams Tyler Medikevich that they signed from Pittsburgh? Where do you guys all land on that? Well, I think I, I think Klein at least provides provides them a baseline, right? Because when you have someone basically retire the way that Lorenzo Alexander do, did, it's, it leaves a huge void. And all they had left to fill that void was Corey Thompson, Bashan Joseph, and Tyrell Dodson, maybe. But he, he's more of a middle linebacker. Um, at that point, you have to make sure that you are giving your defense a fighting chance because you don't want – Vashawn, you don't want to be depending on Vashawn Joseph for just a hair under 50% of your snaps throughout, throughout the season. He's just not there yet. Maybe he gets there, but at the very least you want to build competition. What the AJ Klein contract reminds me of is Tyler Croft's deal from last year, where it's a good starting level contract ish. I mean, you don't necessarily have to dedicate that starting role to Klein. I mean, is he going to have to go out and earn it? Absolutely. I mean, I'm not even ruling out them using 54 on a guy that that could push him. Like, like let's say a Terrell Lewis from Bama falls all the way down to to 54. That gives you a little bit more of what Lorenzo Alexander did, and certainly something that Klein does not provide to you. So, I, I think at the very least, it gives you someone you can trust. It gives you linebacker depth. Um, if Milano or Edmonds gets gets injured because they were very fortunate that that didn't happen last year and and it helps you in that capacity but no I don't think this is necessarily his job locked up I think he's gonna have to earn it too Trent Murphy back eight million the bills can save if they move on the thing there is this is the last year of his contract so I think they give him a I think they give him a chance to to show hey are you fully back 
from that knee injury? Can you be productive in this rotation of edge rushers? Because there's uh, there's just not a lot of incentive to 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 let him go when he's he's not on board past the 2020 season. But uh, I I think he does have to earn his keep. I think they've added enough talent, um, and all depending on how much Daryl Johnson has been able to develop uh, this off season, which we don't know how, how much anybody's going to be able to develop without OTAs and with training resources pretty limited. But uh, they've they've added enough talent on this defensive line that somebody who's what the fourth biggest cap hit on the team right now is expendable if they don't show that they're worth that kind of value. So, you know, I wouldn't be shocked to see him go. Wouldn't be shocked to see him stay. It's just something that uh, it, it might last up until, up until cut day in the preseason. All right. That's pretty good. Thank you so much for joining me guys. You can find them on social media. Uh, Joe Biscalia, Jay Skursky, Marcel Louis-Jacques, Matthew Fairburn. Go search their names. You'll find them. This was fun. How are you guys, how are you guys all doing with the self-quarantine? Um, only me and Jay are, are fathers. I will tell you from a family perspective, the feel, a week has felt like a month. So I, uh, yeah, I appreciate kindergarten teachers more uh, than I ever have before in my entire life. There it is. How's Elliot getting his, his golf practice in? Is the, uh, he's getting well, a lot of use out of that putting green, I would think. Yeah, yeah, putting green. The airport driving range was open. I think probably today it just closed now with the, the latest uh, wave of closures. So we're just going to have to go find the biggest open field I can find and, and start teeing it up, I guess. I'll allow like we're going to have to have a, a team Wii bowling session one of these times yeah. if we can yeah, yeah, yeah. Locally, right? He's, yeah, he would, he'd be in on that for sure. <laughs> See, Kyle right, just got that new war zone, man, and that's been, that's been my mm, juice. Getting on the sticks, very nice. <laughs> I, see what, I see the Fortnite appeal now. Like, I, I see it. I'm not up there yet because I'm not about having a 13-year-old cuss me out while he beats me at a video game. But, like, <laughs> war zone, I can hold my own in. It's a gateway. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, thanks so much uh, for all your Bills coverage, nyupsyracuse.com, The Athletic, The Buffalo News, ESPN. Thank you so much, guys, for joining me.